everyone. This is William Del Pilar, and this is Fired Up. Politically speaking, I would be considered a conservative Latino. And with my cohort here, Cam Roseberry, who is a grassroots activist from California, she actually ran for Senate too in 2016. There's a story there. We want to welcome our guest, Mark Ang. Now, Mark is the president of the Chinese American Citizens Alliance in Orange County and founder of Asian Industry B2B. He is a community organizer in Southern California who has a heart for promoting quality education, Christian causes, and law and order. He was a proponent for the School Choice Initiative Educational Freedom Act. Mark is also a freelance journalist who is featured regularly on the Washington Examiner, Newsweek, City Watch LA, Red State, Tulsa Today, Published Reporter, Asian Journal, and many more publications. He has made front page news on the LA Times and New York Times for his activism and leadership in the Asian community. And he has a book coming out. His book, Minority Retort, will be released in 2022. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, William. Thanks, Karen. Great to see you guys. Well, first of all, before we get into anything else, uh, give you a little pub here. What's this book, Minority Report, Retort, about? Oh, I'm pretty excited. Um, Trinity Broadcasting Network will be publishing my book. So uh, we, we should have it out in September. And it's really kind of just a story of um, how I became a uh, conservative um, and also a collection of a lot of my articles that have been published uh, you know, widely um, regarding issues du jour, such as my research on fentanyl and that being a problem. Um, some of the uh, issues with our water rights here in California and what's contributed to the drought, uh, supply chain issues. I've included a lot of my writings on that. So really kind of a collection of my perspective on issues du jour. And um, I don't know if you guys heard of Lance Wall now who talks about the seven mountains uh, of you know, culture basically that we need to uh, um, attack and you know, as conservatives, to go in and and reform um, these include business, politics, entertainment, the news media, um, all of these things. I address all seven mountains. I address inside my book, so I'm super excited, um, you know, for it to be released so people can see where because I've had kind of an interesting um, uh, experience that most people don't have. Like for example, being involved in Hollywood, I was able to get the behind the scenes on Tiger King and a lot of um, uh, um, you know, the celebrities like the Alec Baldwin thing, the Will Smith slap. I mean, all of these things, uh, you know, um, a lot of people see it in the, in the news, but I was actually involved with a lot of the people that were, you know, um, like for example, I was at the Oscars. So things like that. So it's, it's, um, it's a perspective of someone who's been in those seven mountains and has um, come out as a conservative still and would, uh, and my idea of how to reform those seven mountains. Wow, that, that's impressive. And, and now I know why Karen wanted us to meet, because everything you said is what I'm screaming at the top of my lungs down here. Uh, you know, th there, there's a certain way to approach things. And, and sometimes I think the powers that be forget that. But I think uh, that the Latino and the Asian community have much more in common than I think too many times uh, are are distanced by by varying voices that, that that try to keep them separate. But I think that there's a unity that's there, and I think that uh, seeing you two come together could uh, be a pretty powerful uh, voice and reckoning for I think a lot that uh, don't recognize just the unity that is present between those two communities. 
Right. You know, the, the thing about that, too, is that to me is uh, they keep saying we're short and brown. You know, at least for the Latino culture, we are like the American culture. We are very diverse. We have very black Latinos and very white Latinos. And they tried to box us in. And I think the Democrat Party has failed in that regards to understand us as a culture. Uh, it, we're very diversified, but a lot of similarities. And I'm not sure about the, the Asian culture. I actually have a, a brother who is half Japanese. And uh, I hope to interview him. His, uh, his whole side of the, his family was in Nagasaki. So him and his two aunts, rest in peace, are uh, with the lone survivors of the family. Not him. He was born to, to his mother later. But it's uh, there's a lot of fascination in terms of the Asian community here in the States in, in terms of history, uh, how they've led us, uh, how they're still leading us. And they're pushing back on that at some of the universities with these entry uh, criteria. So, so, Mark, I'm looking forward to hearing you, your train of thought. Karen and I, uh, we kind of go at it at times. Uh, and, and you're more than welcome to it. But real quick, what specifically, you can give us, I guess, a preview of the book, which I'm sure you probably have it in there, got you, what defining moment made you realize, you know, I think I'm a conservative or I am a conservative? I actually uh, talk about that in the book. There was one pivotal moment because um, I, I, I still stand by that I really don't like politics. Um, uh, Karen and I have been on campaigns together and the most recent one, really kind of showed me how much um, I'm disillusioned with the Republican Party, as well as Republican consultants, who I think are really, really problematic. So I have never been really interested in politics. I fell into it through community organizing, because I do love organizing for the community and taking on causes that I believe in. Like, I'm very pro-life, like, I don't back down from that, even though I know a lot of people in politics feel that it's a toxic issue, but I, you know, I am where I stand and I don't, I don't believe that I should be filtering or uh, too much. Of course, you have to have tact. Um, I fail at that sometimes, but, you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, everyone's views should be, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in disagreement with me, I'm okay with that, but um, don't expect me to change where I'm, I stand. But um, so in, through college, I never joined college Republicans or Democrats. I, I didn't like both parties. Um, but once I graduated, I had my uncle who's actually, uh, you know, MIT graduate and someone that um, in our family we look up to. And I had very limited contact with because he lived in New York and I'm in California. But when I graduated, he hit me up and he said, you know, I would like to meet, see you. And I said, of course, I want to see my uncle who I haven't seen in like 10, 12 years. Um, he said, meet me at the LAX Sheraton. And I said, okay. So I expected we were going to grab dinner and, you know, do family things. And then it turned out that I got hoodwinked into going to a Asian Americans for Howard Dean rally. <laughs> and I thought it was the, um, so I said, okay. I don't know politics. I kind of have an idea what the left and the right is. I kind of don't stand in either camp at the time. Um, and I listened to Howard Dean and for 45 minutes, I heard this terrible, long-winded, um, emotionless um, uh, speech that tokenized Asians that really bothered me the way they tokenized it. And I, said okay whatever party he is i'm the other party so that's the moment i said okay i'm a republican i don't agree with that at all so 
Oh, no, I, I get that. Karen, you've never told us your story. Real quick, was there a defining moment for you? Wow. I'm not sure about a defining moment. Uh, the most definitive moment that I can think of was just uh, in 1984. I would have been uh, just before my seventh birthday, or just after my seventh birthday, because it would have been November. And uh, I was watching the returns come in for the, the Reagan Mondale uh, election and uh, was, was following that fairly well and noticed that uh, uh, Mondale only had one state and I'd been rooting for Reagan all along and uh, Reagan definitely came through, uh, you know, strong and powerful as uh, Reagan always is. And I would say that uh, maybe that solidified my uh, definitive Republican, uh, uh, you know, credentials at that point in time. Though I have to say, you know, I, I would agree that the the Republican Party over the years um, has has given me so also some some cause for concern. But uh, the the party of Reagan, the 1984 election, the the individual that he was who saw us through the Cold War and just his leadership throughout all of my my childhood, that's who I identify with when I consider what it is to be a Republican, what I consider it is to be conservative and that voice and just and his his wisdom and his legacy uh, is what I, I hope to see uh, restored at some point in time uh, to our nation because I think I think Reagan uh, really did speak for the conservative voice and did so in a way that we haven't had probably since him. Yeah, Reagan was my time as a kid too. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Mark, I, I'm a bit of the same camp of you as you are. When I uh, really had my defining moment, I just realized I, I, was, I still remember it. I've written about it a couple of times and I just quote, oh my God, I'm a Republican. But the reality was I was more of a conservative. I just had never heard the term at the time, only until I got a little bit older. And, and my thought process is the GOP has lost its way uh, uh, Long, it started losing its way after Reagan uh, served his two terms, is my belief. So, Mark, well, well, before we get into our topics, I love your writing. I just want to say that that kind that's kind of what drew me to you. It's people write for the internet, fourth to eighth grade level, short bullet point. Your articles, you, you got to read them. You make your point and and you take your time, and I find them more informative with the ability to actually read them without getting bored as most people do and they take off after a few paragraphs. What advice would you give to, because there's a lot of writers, a lot of bloggers out there. Uh, what advice would you give to them? Well, I, I think really it's hard. It's hard because people ask me and then they, they don't know how to execute the writing because it really is a reflection of who you are. So you got to be the right person to write something. Otherwise you are just playing, you're just mimicking, right? So I just truly write for, from the heart. I don't make money off of it. And I take pride in, in that because for me, it's like I write my truth. And that is just who I am and my perspective and the way I see things. So it's just being honest to your own voice. But really where I'm coming from, I'm a populist. You know, It really comes from me being a community organizer and working in the community and doing stuff you know, with different groups of people, like I've interacted with so many different people from different walks of life. And that's where my 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 worldview and everything is an aggregate of all the different groups that um, impact me, whether it's, uh, you know, my own Asian community, Hispanics, Black community, you know, I've been on uh, Black Chamber of Commerce, I've been, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of different groups that I'm connected to that all I find common ground with. And in a way, I'm a populist. That's why I'm more of a Trump 
Republican than I am a Reagan Republican. <laughs> and of course, I, I, I like Reagan, but there's a lot of things that I, I still, th I, I, I may be in the minority here, but I really believe that his term was one of the best that we've had. Um, uh, there's a few things I disagree with now on him where I wouldn't support him probably for 2024. But as far as what's written in history, that was an important time. And I really connected to that energy that was coming out of 2016, 2015, when the end of the Obama administration, I felt like, you know, there was really a change coming through where people started seeing through the, the BS of the left. So I am really, at the end of the day, more anti-Democrat than I am of any party. I'm, I, I'm not crazy about the Republican Party, but I'm definitely anti-Democrat. Oh, and you know, I saw two dictators. So when Trump came along, what I try to tell people is you don't understand. You may hammer him, but at the end of the day, you look at the economy. Uh, and then like my partner's a libertarian and they love the philosoph philosophize. Is that how you say it? And uh, at the end of the day, I'm like, look, I keep it simple. I'm pragmatic. The unemployment rate, the economy, everything in between was exasperated exacerbated because yeah because of the media so i mean if, if they had actually uncovered obama's shady past not his personal past right i mean like the dark donor money things like that it, you know it, so much would have come out but that's not what they do so i also tell people at least for latinos but i assume it's every person it's part of our human nature part of our dna when we feel we are oppressed when we feel impotent for lack of a better word and then you see that guy coming down in this case it was an elevator now it took me a while to catch on to him i held my nose and voted because i thought his democrat side would come out but by february of his term i was like that was the best vote i made it was an anti-hillary vote but i don't care because i i became a pro-trump supporter because at the end of the day he created results and it drives my friends crazy because they like to jump on just the media bandwagon it's like everybody says the media is not uh uh fair it's leftist and all that even my friends who are libertarian and republicans but the anti but yet they accept the premises of the media which i really cannot stand like exactly. i'm sorry like even on the pro-life issue which i know we're going to get to in a little bit um, it just really bothers me how you're, you're when you when these uh, um, apologetic white guilt or whatever you want to call it um, uh, Republicans start apologizing for what is the fundamental right of not only you know when a baby is made there's the baby's life but there's also the man that made the baby in a lot of times and people don't talk about the fact that women abort babies um, at will and the, and the dads father, don't have rights. Exactly. I said, well, let's get into it. First of all, uh, uh, Karen, you want to fill us in on the Dobbs decision? We all know it is Roe versus Wade. Even now they're saying the Robers, but what they mean is the Dobbs decision that has overturned that. Educate us on it and then we can get into some dialogue about it because uh, Mark's already itching to go like that. I can tell as well. That's great. So like I say, I, I see a, a lot of similarities between the two of you, and I'm looking forward to this conversation as it continues. So so yes, the, the Dobbs decision did overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, and that's why there's a lot of still talk of, of the Roe v. Wade decision, even though it, it was the Dobbs decision that, that did that. To be very clear, though, and, and this is 
crucially important, it did not ban abortion. Uh, that's a talking point of the left, and that's something that just gets espoused falsely uh, for, for what it did. It returned the decision to the states. And, and that was the correct legal decision to make, because if, even if you look at the 14th Amendment, the 14th Amendment actually is one of the clearest amendments that goes back to the rights of the Declaration of Independence, that individuals have a right to life, liberty, and the 14th Amendment will call it property, which goes back to actually Locke even more so than, than Jefferson, but, but that's the idea of that pursuit of happiness. And so it deals with the fact that you had two conflicting issues of life and a completely artificially constructed right that the Roe decision created by judicial activism for privacy. It doesn't mean that there's not a right to privacy, but you won't find the words right to privacy anywhere in our constitution or subsequent amendments. The 14th amendment does guarantee a right to life uh, and, and it does protect that right to life. And so we saw the court come back and say, look, we're gonna restore this ability to legislate on the right to life to the states. And that's really all that the Dobbs decision did. It said that no longer is there going to be a federal protection for abortion. The states can legislate matters of life issues independent of a court decision that, that artificially constructed a right that wasn't present within the constitution. Exactly. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, some big way from the UCLA school system when they asked the school for the comment, he's like, why? It's our state guarantees the right to an abortion. It doesn't affect us at all. And I thought that was the best political answer he could give. Uh, but that said, I, real Mark, you you proudly wear Christian in the intro. You, you said you're, you're a strong Christian. What went through your mind? Because most people did not see this coming. They were, I mean, they just, it's not that they were oblivious. They just did not see SCOTUS ever overturning this, at least in our lifetime. What went through your mind when you heard the decision? Oh, um, it was the happiest day of my life, almost. I mean, it's just, uh, I have grown up, so I'm 40. Um, I've had four decades of um, feeling like the world was just constantly going a direction that I instinctively did not appreciate, whether it was the socialistic tendencies of the Democratic Party, the uh, crazy lifestyle of Hollywood, all of these things I just said, you know, or the shallowness, you know, of um, uh, and the lack of intellectual uh, depth in our culture and society are, and I don't want to get into morals because I feel like uh, you know, people have already accused me of being, you know, what is it? Uh, I don't know, far right, whatever, re uh, religious freak and all of that, which I just laugh off because I'm really not. Um, I'm a Christian and, and I believe that it's important. You know, uh, I, I believe that context matters, right? Yes. And the context has been so um, messy uh, where, you know, so I like to talk about the you know, if we're going to talk about it from the social standpoint, okay, I went, I, there was not, not one issue that really said, I'm going to flip and become a Republican, then it was the pro-life, pro-choice, whatever, pro-abortion issue. 
And I really started um, exploring that in depth because it's one of those issues that everyone really has to grapple with. And that's what I like about issues like this. It's universal. Everyone is a child. Every, a lot of people are parents. A lot of people are friends. And you, the people around you are, you know, they touch you in ways in, in uh, you know, emotionally and you have connections with people. Um, one of my best friends um, uh, really converted me on this issue because when I said, when I was younger, I said, oh, I'm pro, uh, pro-choice. pro Duh, of course. I don't care what, what a woman does with her body. I'm not here to be like, oh, you know, telling other people what to do. And he goes, well, I am an adopted child and I wouldn't be here today if my mother had, you know, boarded me. And I said, wow, that's pretty profound. That is one of the, you know, I wouldn't have this important person in my life, a close dear friend, if that was made available at the time of his birth. And he was born in 68, which was before Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. So I said, wow, that's, uh, that really made me rethink the issue. And I feel like, um, you know, and it's really funny because I wrote this article, Florida Daily published it. Um, you'll see it. A lot of outlets actually published it. And I said, you know, Roe v. Wade overturned. It is a legal, legally correct, morally correct decision. So on two fronts, and obviously um, Karen had highlighted that. Um, and congrats, by the way, Karen, on, you know, being the d- executive director of a great organization, Karenet, a pro-life organization. It's organizations like this that should be setting the narrative, not Planned Parenthood having a monopoly on it. But what we've seen for the last, I don't know, especially the last two decades was Planned Parenthood having the monopoly on that conversation and shutting down anyone that disagreed with that or even veered slightly off and questioned um, when to have an abortion. Maybe it's like later, uh, later term, you know, and they kept pushing the boundaries there. And we saw society and, and, you know, um, 10 years ago, I was in grad school and I really got to see people, you know, a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, which, you know, was my peer group that were on Tinder, nonstop hookup culture, and they were miserable. They were having abortions. And then people don't talk about this. Um, some of the friends I knew had complications after the abortion, uh, lots of, you know, uh, um, physical health problems, physiological issues, uh, which the movie Unplanned really um, hits home because it approaches those things that are not usually talked about. But also it's not just the physical issues, but the emotional issues. Because, you know, these people, um, these women that have gone through the abortions, well, they're haunted by, you know, it's a mistake. And right, it's right. very similar to women that have gone through traumatic other traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a debate over whether or not you can actually call it post-abortion syndrome and whether or not it's likened to PTSD. And, and I'm not going to chime in specifically on, on that component of the debate, but but every psychologist, you know, from psychology today through the, the most honestly, the most liberal psychologist that you'll find will acknowledge the fact that that women that have an abortion have a unique emotional experience experience that that is akin to them mm-hmm. and that far too often that experience can be compared to those who have gone through a trauma 
And we can see this in pop culture, right? Um, Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac had an abortion and she had her, uh, wrote a song called Sarah. And she says that till this day, she, um, her baby, Sarah, who she had aborted, uh, still ruminates through her thoughts. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's, I used to be a big fan of Rush and uh, I, I mentioned this to Karen, what you said about the emotional component, it's, and, and it hits in hearing this story, you, I, all I heard was pain. She was on Rush, yet they were call, talking about the abortion issue and she had had an abortion. She was an older woman now. She sounded like she was in her 60s. So this had been a few decades or a couple of decades. And the pain you heard in her voice and, and, and even though uh, time had passed, people had forgiven her, she couldn't forgive herself. And that wasn't the first time. There were like, over the time I heard Rush over the years, I heard three calls like that and I heard two other people in person. And it kind of, it, it doesn't make me uncomfortable in, in the way most people would say uncomfortable, but it just kind of tears at you. And I wasn't even a part yes. of that, hearing that pain. And that's what irks, irk is, is such a weak word here, but that's what angers me because my belief is simple. Take the debate out of the, 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 the take the argument off center for a moment and just do what's morally right to the woman who's who, and make sure she knows every mm -hmm. single option available to her, including the clinics like where Karen works at, the sonograms. You know, Planned Parenthood doesn't like to show sonograms and they don't show sonograms, you know, and there's a reason for that. A specific, and as a sailor, I told this to Karen too, mm -hmm. a sailor, they have the cigars once they find out they're pregnant. The moment they they bring that sonogram to work, they're on. It's a different man. All of a sudden, the realities of life set in because that sonogram signifies life in in our minds. So, so that emotional component to me is so powerful. And, and I hate to play politics, but this that emotional component is what the Republican Party needs to bring out, and, and they never do. They avoid the issue, you know. And I always tell people. You know, a politician has to represent the 48% that, that, that are pro-choice and the 40, and the other half that's uh, pro-life. But our side just ignores our pro-life side and just tries to completely avoid mm -hmm. it. That's why Planned Parenthood's still being funded. That's why the state mm -hmm. of California was able to try to attack you by, uh, uh, or attack these, these, these family pregnancy centers by trying to force what they could put on their ads. Uh, you know, th that's a very good point. Uh, Marcus. And, and let me just say the woman uh, in the center of the Roe v. Wade uh, decision back then has evolved into becoming pro-life. Right. So results do matter. And I grapple with this issue. It's so funny because the left cannot argue on the issue. So they'll result to ad hominem attacks and uh, try to make you out like some sort of monster. And, I, and today, even today on one of my threads, some Republicans were going after me and they're yeah. like, oh, we're going to lose the midterms. And then another one was like this... Uh, college Republican, she's lesbian and she she's like really like going after me over over um, why I, um, you know, the, my, she, she said my posts on pro-life were just awful, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm sorry, that speaks more about you because, you know, I'm presenting my side on my Facebook page, not like I'm, you know, I'm putting it, well, you know, I am a published journalist. So yes, of course, I'm going to write my opinion on it. But you know, I'm not shoving it in people's faces. But I yeah. do know how to defend my point. And I think the the left has gotten so good at silencing people before they can even make the point or bring up the arguments that you know, we we just brought up, the three of us collectively have brought up some very important points around why we're pro life. We're not just like, oh, you know, they try to make it a caricature. But in reality, they're the caricature. 
because they're hateful and they want to, um, you know, they, they have no qualms about murder. Right. And, that's and speaking not- about silencing and speaking with you guys here, one of the voices that has been, no, 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 no you're gonna, I, I think you both will like this point, but one of the voices that has been ridiculously silenced, and it's actually something that, that we at, at, at CareNet and other pregnancy centers are, are, are trying to pull out, are the rights of the father and, and the fact that they have been completely eliminated from this conversation as though they have no voice, no say whatsoever. And, and yet they're honestly drawn in more as the one to blame. It's like, you know, well, you know, the guy, you know, is involved in this, yet he doesn't have any say over his child, right. you know, at the, this stage, you know, of development. And, and that is just grossly unfair. Not only is it grossly unfair, we also know that that really the guy's voice actually does influence the woman's decision. In fact, more so than any other decision that they're, more so than any other voice in right. the decision that they make. And that's why they've, they've been, honestly, and I mean, I hate to say this because this sounds very trendy, but they've been emasculated. They, they, the yes. most common <laughs> yeah. thing that we hear from, from women is this, oh, you know, my, my boyfriend, my, you know, the father of my baby, he'll support me in whatever I do. I mean, that, that's what they've been conditioned to say rather than, no, this is my child too. I'm going to protect, I'm going to provide, I'm there for you. You know, I want you to have this baby. Like they won't even go that far because they feel if they're saying that, that they're pressuring, you know, that their significant other with whom they've had this child as well. And, and it, it really is just a very distorted worldview in which we are existing where they can't make that claim boldly and confidently and say no this is my baby too i talked about this in my book but i think karen you may have attended in 2019 i did a screening of unplanned at the orange coast college and uh one of the craziest moments was um one of the students at that community college you know in the end there was like q a with a panel and one of the audience members came up and shared a story about you know, him and his girlfriend having a baby, but the girlfriend just assumed that he didn't want the baby and went and had an abortion. And he was just devastated by it because he wasn't even consulted on it. You know, so these are the type of things that are, you know, not talked about. Right. Part of the problem is it's not a condition. It's actually happened with action. So for example, in the military, sailors are not saints. I'm not saying every sailor is right, but I've seen cases where the guidelines state, hey, do this, do this. They don't even listen to the sailor and they'll believe 100% from the woman. The courts have done the same thing in assuming the mother is the better parent. Now, I'm not one to argue because biologically, I, that's what I've always felt and that's what I've always been taught. But it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, it's there's a bond there that the father's never going to have. But these actions are what have made us impotent. And the reason I don't think this is brought up as much is because it's one of those battles that we're not ready for, meaning there's so many battles right now in mm-hmm. front of it. But, but yet, William, I disagree with that. I, I mean, the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp moment that we experienced <laughs> has really got, that came out of left field because I thought just like you, William, I thought, hey, we're not ready to have these conversations, even though it's happening all around us. I have cousins that are, basically indentured servants because they have uh, a, you know, a mother of their baby, baby mama, just trying, just milking them all for alimony and child support and have no lives. And they're great fathers and providers, but they just keep getting squeezed, you know, but yet we have Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. 
and, and, and that's what I'm saying. This is why I, I love bringing people on because from the Amber Heard, I'm like, yeah, it's finally starting to come around. But I was looking at it from the Me Too movement. You know, they're not going to start just openly believing a woman. And that goes back to my belief. But you're right. It hadn't even occurred to me. That's a potential segue into a, a father's rights. And we're talking about it as a debate issue. Uh, uh, the truth of the matter is abortion is in and of itself so emotional, which is why we're, 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 we're so harsh on both sides about it. But in that emotion, we've forgotten the father's feelings and his beliefs and his wants. Yeah. You know, along yeah. with adoption in other ways. But yeah, you know, it, it, I had not thought about it with Amber Heard. Uh, any thoughts, uh, Karen, do you think that that could help lead a way to open this? Or do you think we're still a little ways off? I, I think that it's a very emotional subject across the board. And, and I think that we do need to do a better job. And I think we started to talk about this kind of at the beginning of the segment, but of tapping into emotion effectively. Uh, the, the, the left wants to, to stigmatize this and they want to make this a hyper emotional issue, but not draw in the emotion that actually is warranted. It is emotion, an emotional issue and, and there should be emotion and it should not be purely at analytical and devoid of that emotion. I mean, there is a legal component and we talked a little bit about that when we introduced it. There is a scientific component and, and we should talk about that as well. But but the, the key components come down to the fact that abortion is not kind to women. And even if we take an old democratic mantra of safe, legal, and rare. And quite honestly, that's really what we should be looking at for, for California. And, and I know we want to keep this mostly national, and, and I, I want to as well. well we're going to talk I, about I, California. But I do <laughs> want to speak to that fact, because the, the, the fact is, is that California has been knee-jerk and extremist. And so what used to be considered the, you know, centrist, common sense, or even quite honestly, it was a little bit of the left position, but but had moved to sort of that, that center position of safe, legal, and rare, isn't even being discussed any longer. It is now expand abortion access to the extent that it could be potentially unsafe for women. Right. When over 50% of abortions are chemical abortions or, or what we call medical abortions, where here's your pill and take that. And, and that's a whole other topic for the fact that we try to solve way too many issues with a pill. But when, when that's the solution that's being pitched to women who aren't getting ultrasounds, who aren't knowing how far along they are in their pregnancy, and who more often than not are now having to go in for surgical procedures who were never even given proper information, that informed consent that we talk about as to if you take this pill, what will be the, the reactions, what will be the what, what can you expect from this, and just how far along are you in your pregnancy? Because they don't have to know that information before they're just given this pill that tells them, oh, it's going to be just fine. And yet we're seeing a, a rather striking and, and startling uptick in the number of, of women going into emergency rooms because their medical abortion did not work the way that they were told it was going to work. So we don't have informed consent. We, we, we don't have a ability to let women know that there could be consequences, there could be feelings and ramifications to this action. So it's not safe, both mentally and even potentially physically, 
it, at least of the way it's being presented right now. Right, We're right. not trying to reduce the rarity of this. We, we have grossly moved away from what the mainstream position was for Yeah, abortion. the culture moved left. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and the right but, never responded. So it just kept moving left to a point where we have men that can get pregnant now, apparently, yeah. according to the left. So that's how far, you know, and that's the consequences of silence, of right. not talking about these things. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, we Mark, are right now. Uh, going back to when you're saying you're 40 and that's what you've seen, the denigration, you know, I'm a little bit older. Uh, I was there during Reagan's years. And like I said, after he uh, uh, came out of office, the Bush transition, but then the morality of the country, right or wrong, I'm a sailor. I'm not stupid to the realities of men and our stupidity, but what he did is not what I want to be seen for my president. And, and that to me began the more- That'd be Clinton that you're talking about. Yeah, more Bill so than Clinton. Right. Right. Yes. And March, there was pushback. The problem was Bob Livingston was doing the pushback and Bob Livingston was having an affair that Hustler Magazine exposed. Right. So yes. pushback. And then taking the abortion, you know, the abortion started going downhill. Again, part of this transition, we went from a rape, life-threatening to, to Governor Rath Northam saying, hey, the woman will be fine in her room, be taken care of by the nurses, and then we'll go make a decision on the baby in the next room. You know, so that's how far we've fallen. And 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 abortion has been part of that, but it's been a big moral degradation. Yeah, uh, you, you bring up a great point, William, about the right ambassadors to speak about these issues. First of all, the everyday person should be talking about it and that doesn't get heard enough. But you have these um, televangelists and I'm sorry, I... Um, the religious right um, put on and some of the worst ambassadors, total hypocrites, like you had just cited, but also people that um, don't know how to talk about the issue. Sorry, Todd Aiken, Richard Murdoch. Oh, God, Todd Aiken, yeah. That you're, could you're not right. articulate. Right. The pro-life pro um, uh, position is actually a very well thought out one. But when you have idiots uh, you know, that can't defend that position being the faces of this. Uh, that is what the, the left wants. They want to put up the inarticulate voices, the ones that cannot explain why we're pro-life. And you may not remember it, Mark, but the 80s, they should make a movie about this. It was the rise and the fall of the televangelists, the Tammy and the, the Bakers, you know, the Swaggers, with Swagger Swallow. I can't remember which one had a fair. But Jimmy, and we're, horrible, no, Jimmy, yeah. we're talking about yeah. the mega churches, the people who had millions. And that was like into the 80s, late 80s. And again, it just was part of the culture. That was the end that that the left had, and then the Republicans climbed up. I better not say something. They may go digging in my ass, you know. And, and and that's where the science came. And then you're right. And one thing I told Karen last time, it's it's look. I don't want to put a woman in any position, but if I'm a candidate, I have some of these individuals who are willing to talk about it openly at a Q and A telling their stories because that's what touches the heart not an old man you know uh <laughs> standing up talking. and you brought us some good points i can i can remember his name again from missouri or somewhere who was talking Aiken. about yeah Aiken. and i was like oh my I, you know i got mad at the republican party because as a former liberal talking to democrats they actually trained their candidates who are willing to give i mean we offer a little training but when the battlefields are drawn and they don't like the candidate who wins in the primary, they just kind of leave that person to fend for themselves. And when you're not polished and grassroots, that's why I'm not defending AG as right. much as why aren't you training your people, C-A-G-O-P and G-O-P, and it's not happening. So real quick, we kind of digress, but I kind of loved it there. Uh, 
foreign policy wise, this should be very short here because my answer is I don't give a bleep. Is European countries started commenting on the the, the Dobbs decision. Uh, first, Karen, then we'll go to Mark. Well, quickly, what are your thoughts on that about for, about foreign nations? It doesn't affect them. They don't even know how our state and federal government work here, and a lot of people in America don't even know. So you have these idiots from blue. The loudest voices protesting this are from blue states, right? Well, where abortion also- remains legal. It's also grossly hypocritical on the part of the EU because almost all of those countries have stricter abortion limitations than what many of our states are actually trying to actually put into place. And so the the fact that they're over here telling us that, you know, we have to defend abortion rights, even to an extent like what California is trying to do with Prop 1, goes far beyond what any of those nations actually hold to, because they'll at least support protection of viability of the child, you know, at at least at the point where they could live outside of the womb. And that's being undermined here in California. And And I'm sorry, but the EU is the last example of who or last role model I want to look at. Their population has been declining because of, you know, just it's ridiculous. Like their, um, the culture that has been created by, I'm sorry, white Europe. Yeah. You know, it's Latinos and Asians that are keeping the family unit, moving things forward and creating sustainability for future generations. White people, America, Europe, especially just want to live in the moment and they they glorify the follies of youth instead of the wisdom of the elderly and that's a major problem oh no it's a massive problem Uh, and in america the latino family units being broken up democrats have been successful in ways uh, of breaking our unit up but uh they did it to the black oh yeah see that's what i try to tell my friends look this is what they're trying to perfect Black America, and they want to take this model to Latinos, to Hispanics, to Chicanos, whatever they decide to call us today or tomorrow, you know? But so speaking of that, uh, David Valadao made, made an interesting statement in terms of kitchen politics and, and Roe versus Wade. Talk to us a little bit, Karen, to educate us on that and tie in the polling that kind of backs that up. And uh, Mark, from you, I'd like to know your thoughts on candidates and what they should do uh, with this type of, if Valadao is right or you, you see it differently. So Valadeo actually pretty much steered into the skid, and I think it was very wise of him. Uh, He he has a a good record uh, with the National Right to Life and has certainly received support for his stance on being a pro-life congressman over the the years that he's actually been in Congress. And so he's not going to apologize for that. Uh, He recognizes that about 70 percent of his district actually is Latino. And most importantly, what, what what I think he's just completely accurate about is the fact that the people that are going to turn out to vote over the pro-life issue have already decided their stance. So they're not going to be swayed by what's happening, whether, you know, whether it's at the state level or even at the national level. You know, pro-life voters are going to vote for candidates who consistently remain pro-life and, and pro-choice voters are, are going to be antagonistic to candidates and to elected officials that, that support life. But the, the middle of the road candidates, except now, interestingly enough, maybe some of the Latino voters that, that he's trying to actually sway and that he is trying to make sure do vote for him, honestly are probably more likely to be pro-life, but but where, where he's really banking is the fact that the the abortion issue is not really what's going to be the driving factor in their vote. Um, he doesn't think it's going to alienate them. I agree with him that 
being pro-life is not going to alienate a, a Latino voter. It may not be the reason why they turn out to vote. And that's basically what he's saying. He's saying, look, the, the Latino voters in my community are going to turn out to vote because our quality of life issues, our cost of living issues have been completely jacked. And they're not going to object to me being pro-life if I'm willing to offer them solutions that are going to make their their cost of living issues and their quality of life issues better. So what you're saying is kitchen politics trumps Dobbs. What do you think, Mark? Oh yeah, I've seen polling to that effect. Um, in fact, uh, there's a net effect of turnout, right? Uh, because the left is so emotional and angry, a lot of them are actually gonna be depressed. So when uh, CNN just did a poll oh, of uh, likely voters, uh, um, 38% said they, would, they were happy with the decision, uh, 18% of the likely midterm voters uh, said that they were angry with the decision. And then the remainder was like, I don't care. <laughs> so, so really there's the reality. You've got loud voices on the left and loud voices on the right, but there's a whole middle or swath of voters that are not even tuned in and or it's a passing thought and they're just like whatever you know this is this doesn't concern me i'm concerned about seven dollar a gallon gas mm -hmm. so that's you know for valadeo my thought probably he's in a unique position because it's rural and he has a mm -hmm. lot of uh probably mostly mexicans uh but mostly you know uh working valadeo. 70 latino uh and, voters if i'm not mistaken yeah exactly immigrants or sadly illegals but they are what you would call the originals uh in terms of they are the most religious, the most pro-life. By the third generation, Latinos have become Americanized. Second generation uh, uh, would be like me. I speak, read, write English, tied to my roots, et cetera, et cetera. But these individuals, they mostly speak Spanish still. They watch Spanish television. You go to their house, you're going to get a great Mexican meal. You know. So my take is simple. This can sway it for Valadao. But that said, even in urban areas, there, those are votes out there to be had who are just uninformed about their Democrat. Uh, we both know her and I honestly cannot remember her name, uh, but she worked, she worked a lot of campaigns like you guys. And, and some years ago, she was working with a Christian group, a church group. They were going into Riverside. I told you this, Karen. They were going into Riverside and they were knocking on doors. It had something to do with the pro-life situation issue at the time. And she goes, many of them spoke Spanish and they had Spanish speakers. That was part of their plan to go to those communities. They were flipping them from Democrats into Republicans because many of these first generation immigrants or, or immigrants rather, thought their Democrat representative was pro-life. I mean, it was that out of touch that our Republican Party was or is still, in my eyes, with the Latino community. Uh, right. I mean, am I looking at it wrong, uh, Mark? Mar I think the, the CAJOP uh, has Stockholm Syndrome. So they don't know how to uh, take an issue that, you know, you're going to get blowback because obviously no one uh, you can never have a utopia where everyone agrees with everyone else on everything, right? right. So instead of proclaiming a, a, a contrast, a clear contrast with the Democratic Party, the Republicans decide they want to play Democrat light and right. basically be afraid of their position or try to downplay it. The CHOP did not even release a statement on, wrote on the Dobbs decision, but um, 
you know, I have to give a shout out to Fred Whitaker of our Orange County GOP, who actually put out a statement affirming life. And I gave him an attaboy for that, because at least some local county GOPs are, um, are, you know, standing for life and realizing what a historic decision this is. Why are we in politics to start with? Or why do we even get involved slightly? It's because of moments like this. It's right. because we're able to see the culmination of our work, which is our own blood, sweat and tears and time and money and resources to volunteer and to help in the community or try to affect some change. And it's moments like this that's like a clear victory. And it's amazing how many Republicans cannot even celebrate what is a slam dunk. Right. You know, it's funny you say that because I'm always screaming at the top of my head when they bring that topic up. I'm like, why get de Democrat light when you can get the real thing? That's why yeah. you keep losing. But in your intellectual mind of layering every piece of data, you come to this ungodly conclusion. If you can't the kids mm -hmm. method, we would know where we're at. So, let, well said. Uh, so let's take this Latino talk and segue into the second uh Portion. I have another question, but that will take us into another different direction. But that's a university bastions and uh, 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 free speech. After oh, Mark would love that. <laughs> exactly. So we'll save that for another day. But that's a great topic too. Uh, uh, so, 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 so this Dobbs decision has even permeated the, the campus life right now. So, taking the Latino talk we had, let's talk a little bit about Latinos. Uh, what the GOP can do to recruit us? Because I'll be honest, just real quick, because I am Latino. Uh, I used to never say that because I used to never care. My defining moment was when I was like, "Oh my God, I'm a Republican." Was when they played the identity race card uh, at college on me. But the reason I I got involved was I just got sick and tired of them showing Latinos as short and dumb and the only ones they would show would be crossing the border. We have a rich, diverse heritage. You know, we help people. Uh, we believe in God. You know, we want to have families, you know, and, and, and so what I saw them, how they would label us, uh, I said, I got to get involved. We are not what they are portraying. And that was 2015. And everything you said, Mark, is, is exactly my beliefs. Now we're seeing the type of Latino I want to see in office. And that is represented right now by Maya Flores. And she's of Mexican uh, descent. And uh, she got elected in a mostly Democrat uh, district. And she did it all herself. Before I turn it over to you guys, my issue that we may fall into is the Repub Republicans are going to claim a, a, a massive victory to do what they want to do when it's the people who are bringing this red wave. These Latinos flipping to the GOP are not flipping because the Republican Party took their message. And if that's ignored in a few years, we're going to lose some of these people. So, and right now they are smearing Maya Flores. They've already condemned her as an alt-right politician, yet she hasn't voted on anything. What do you think, uh, 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 Mark, uh, of this smear, the der derogatory narrative, narrative they're creating on her, and the lack of the GOP to push back on it? I mean, she's defending herself very well, as her backers are, but the GOP seems to kind of be ignoring that. Well, Myra Flores is a threat to um, the Democrats because she's exactly what uh, they think is in their pocket. The type of voter, you know, the the type of demographics in their pocket, the way the black community is pretty much lockstep in with the Democratic Party. But Myra Flores is showing the the fissures, the 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 cracks in the wall, so to speak. And we saw this in 2020 in Miami Dade, uh, which is very Hispanic, and they had shifted 23 points That's to the right. right. And um, where Myra won was in West and South Texas, 
that whole border um, uh, border uh, counties and in Texas have been f uh, slowly moving right mm -hmm. from having almost zero Republican registration in certain cases to now being at least 50% registration. So things are really moving because um, of Trump. Uh, Trump really had a populist brand that uh, a lot of the Latinos, um, you know, and I'm pretty blue collar in my, uh, you know, perspective on things as well. I'm a farmer. So, uh, you know, for me, that is something, uh, you know, a lot of rural issues, um, I think are ignored by the, the old Republican Party pre-Trump. Trump had this outsized in, um, appeal in rural America because he actually spoke like one of us, mm -hmm. spoke like people that, you know, the regular everyday people. And that's very important. Bush had a little bit of that, but he was a little too big business for, yeah, and, yeah. you know, certainly yeah. McCain and, and Romney as nominees were atrocious because all they represented was that big business vulture uh, Republican party that uh, so many cannot relate to. So it's all about relatability. And that's uh, kind of where we're at now um, is uh, a lot of minorities who are, you know, in, in blue collar in nature or in Miami-Dade have ties, a fa close family ties to uh, communist governments were very, very disgusted with the Democrats in the last few years. Cuba. So we, we can appeal to those people more by uh, by going where the brand is strong versus trying to flip suburban Latinos, for example. Right. And just piggybacking yeah. on that a little bit. Yeah, no, no, no. I was just going to agree that. And I think that with, with Myra Flores, not only is she a threat to the Democrats, she's also a little bit of a threat to the Republican branding narrative, even to a degree of, of the Bushes, uh, you know, uh, of the fact that she wants to draw in a little more of that nationalist tone that does appeal to, to many of the Latino voters, um, meaning that they are fine with a degree of, of patriotism that has been almost abandoned by Americans left and right far too often. And, and so, you know, th th that whole narrative of, of, you know, being a flag waver, th that that's not a bad thing. Okay. At least it, it shouldn't be. And if you look at nations across the globe, most of them have a much more heightened sense of nationalism th than we do in America. We've, we have been to almost told to be embarrassed by that or ashamed by our nationalism because we are kind of the last superpower. And so it's like, you're not allowed to you know, I mean, literally, and I mean, it's not even necessarily my favorite song by, by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm not really big on pride in general, but the, the whole idea of, you know, I'm proud to be an American, you know, that, that used to be a statement that could easily be declared and, you know, a song that would be sung, and now it, it's almost as if that's like a dirty word or a dirty, you know, mantra. Right. The and, Democrats for sure feel right, yeah, right. that. Yeah, right, right, right. And that goes completely contrary to, I think, much of the, the Latino mindset as they come here because they are coming here to become proud Americans. Right. And, and I think that that's exactly what Myra Flores brings um, to this conversation is the fact that she is a proud American and she's not going to apologize for that. Right, as a, as a kid, I saw many foreigners, well, you know, my dad was uh, uh, in the military, he's Puerto Rican, mom's Panamanian, a lot of friends and family. And we have not given that up because you bring up a good point. 
they still come today and their proudest day is the day they become an American citizen. Literally every immigrant that comes in becomes a citizen. That's their day. And, and we kind of made that a bad thing, but you know, I'm proud to say as Hispanics or Latinos or whatever, we haven't given up on that because that's what drew me to Trump. They kept trying to compare junk, Trump's nationalism to Germany on this. I go, you got, again, you guys are just it's flat stupid. out lying. To have yeah. a strong the country. The shoe don't fit. Exactly. You, to have a strong country, you must be patriotic. You must have unity. But we have unity for the values and we expect our politicians to uphold the constitution because that is the American dream. We may not know the American dream is the constitution and the bill of rights per se, but we, what America embodies are those things and that's why we love it. I never stop telling America, only in America can a five foot seven Latino like me come in and, and, and help pioneer and commercialize a brand new multi-billion dollar industry. I'm still waiting that's for my paycheck, but that's America. That that, that that's the Declaration of Independence, and you're absolutely right about the ideals component. And, and again, I don't agree with any individual, probably 100%. But one of the the most, I think, uh, competent and, and one of the most definitive talking points of even like a Dinesh D'Souza will speak to the fact that what unites Americans, because we are just such a different country, are our values. And those values are embodied in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. And fundamental to that is life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And that's why the, the whole first segment that we were talking about, about the life issue, is so crucial. Because without that protection of life, you don't have liberty. And without liberty, you can't pursue happiness. And, and everything that you're describing, William, is exactly that. It's that pursuit of happiness. And everything that, that, that Mark was describing earlier is about that component of protecting life so that we have those values that are shared across culture, across nations when we become Americans for those values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of Because we're the ones that actually stand for choice. The, de the Democrats are so anti-choice, and yet they're such hypocrites and trying to act like they're the biggest proponents of choice. But their actions say otherwise. And I think people are waking up to that, especially Latinos. Right. Hey, Mark, you know, right now they're trying to cast uh, uh, Ms. Flores as a, a, a Bober or NTG. My question to you is, first of all, that's what they cast all Republican women who believe in the Constitution as nut jobs. But how do we change the narrative on this? Because GOP, they're okay with the media ostracizing those two women. They would have rather have them out than in. Uh, so so I think the uh, I think it's it's uh, mythical to think that we have the ability to change things. Things have a natural flow, and sometimes it's just a moment, right? Like I had decided that Johnny Depp Amber Heard moment. Who saw that coming? So random, right? But right. that became such a part of our national conversation. We're gonna right now things. This is gonna become part of the national conversation. Te, uh, when I was in grad school in New York in about 2012 election during the Romney election, people were very confused why I was Republican going to an Ivy League uh, liberal school. And uh, people just couldn't comprehend that I was a minority conservative. But yet now things are happening all around the country. And now there's uh, interest in that. So you just got to wait. A lot of politics and a lot of cultural shifts is timing. And it also requires the left, which is very good at overreaching, to do what they're doing is best, is to overreach and alienate people. So let them do that. Let them tie their own rope and hang themselves. I think I we're going to see a show. 
Oh, so I was just gonna, I think we're going to see a showdown eventually between the Myra Flores and the AOC. I, I, I think Myra Flores has the potential of being a voice for the, the Republican Party, much in the same way. And, and I mean, uh, admittedly, there are Democrats that don't like the fact that AOC is, is a voice for them, but but she is, and, and they just have to accept or deal with that because, you know, she is, uh, you know, even of the far left variety. I don't think that Myra Flores is nearly as far or extreme as, as AOC is for, for the left as Myra Flores is for the right. But, but I, I think that we could see that type of clash actually bring Myra Flores even more to the forefront. And I think that that's actually what we want to see so that there is a voice that contends with AOC on the national front. I mean, Ted Cruz kind of tries to do it, but, but Myra Flores would just be such a better, you know, foil and such a better counter to her as, as we see those two, you know, Twitter spar in regards to how we, reframe that narrative what do you think mark um i i'm really not into uh like putting my hopes on what on on these personalities honestly the voices will come up when they need to <clears throat> and as a populist i really want to see everyday joes average joes get their time in the sun so there should be different people in the latino community who will be part of the greater conversation that's what it's going to be Right. And I and think that's where it's headed. I do a little pushback on it because AOC is a media created darling. When she speaks, yeah. uh, 70, 80 percent of what she says is ignorant and they just don't cover it, you know, but they'll push her agenda, which is their agenda. They, they have made her. They have created her. They're not going to give Maya Flores any time. They're not. The GOP is not going to back it up. Now, Maya Flores will defend herself when asked, confronted or whatever. She will not back down. So she will eventually become a leader because she just has that inner strength and she, she knows the battlefield. She must know her advisors must be telling her many of these Republicans in Congress aren't going to like you. You know, so I and plus she represents her district. I think she goes in there, cleans up for her district, and all politics are local. I think for us to make any headway, I it's more important agree. to have Maya Flores in that district, showing herself as a powerful Latina woman. Because let's be honest, we are still a patriarchal society, so she has her own battles within our own culture. So to help bring more women into the party, because Lord help me, Marie Waldron in my district isn't doing it, you know, to, to bring more women, to, to spread that, that conservative message. And I think if she does that, that's how you'll see the shift of power, but it takes time. And let's just hope the Republicans and the Democrats uh, can, can stay off that. Hey guys, we're at about an hour mark. Mark, I'm hoping we can have you back on again, maybe in the next month or so, to keep sure. talking about this. There's the university aspect, the California aspect of, of, of the Dobbs decision. There's there's the uh, still a lot- Yeah, of let's talk about that next time. I love right, that. Yeah. Right, so Mark, where can they go to visit you and see your work? Uh, go to Mark Ang, M-A-R-C-A-N-G dot U-S. And that's my website. And then, uh, you know, I'll be posting updates regarding the book release and all of that. Uh, but, you know, they can also follow me on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So, um, you know, um, and I'm, I'm usually under the moniker Marquis Angus, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S, and then Angus like beef, which is just like a play on my name. So uh, I'm at that on facebook and twitter so we'll have all that on the side panel there uh once we release this but thank you for having us you all have been listening to fired up miss roseberry as always thank you mark we look forward to your next visit this was an exciting episode in terms of what was spoken and everybody else good night thank you william good night thanks william thanks mark Bye bye.